Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and, you know, it seems like I go from one great idea to the next great idea. And this hour, the great idea is Jeff Verdorn in studio. All right, that's a great idea. And we're going to continue our series on who is this Jesus. We're already in our third episode of this series, and so far it's been spectacular. And today we're going to talk about prophecies of Jesus. And I think it's uh, going to be a, a note-taking uh very busy hour, which I'm looking forward to. And Jeff is a Bible teacher. He's a friend. He's a mentor of mine. And I always look forward to uh, his teaching because he has this ability to think clearly, speak clearly, and communicate so beautifully. Jeff, welcome back. Wow. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Well, Good it's, afternoon. It's worth, You're worthy of all those uh, nice comments. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to uh, who is this Jesus and to talk about prophecies today. I know we're uh, should we do a little bit of brush up on what we discussed last week? Sure. Since this is kind of a series, yeah, yeah, the last couple of times, or part one and part two, we talked about a couple of things. And so the first part, the first session we did in, in, in this series was basically kind of talking about the divinity of Christ. We talked a little bit about his eternal nature, that Christ uh, is God in the flesh. He has many shared titles with God, many shared characteristics with God and many shared powers with God, and those things come through in Scripture. So, you know, one of the first truths that we have to establish when talking about who is this Jesus is that he is God in the flesh. And uh, so God has revealed himself. We talked about this in the person of the Father, in the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, but he has appeared in these three persons. The second part, we basically talked about the humanity of Christ, that this God decided to become flesh and dwell among us. We talked a little bit about God appearing in the Old Testament in bodily, physical form. We called those Christophanies. So when Jacob wrestled with God, he was actually, I believe, wrestling with the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in the flesh, if you will, God in human form. And when God met with Abraham, when God wrestled with Jacob, when Moses met with God face to face, I think that this is Christ. These were Christophanies. Um, we then see that Jesus became flesh and what and dwelt, became a man. And so he was born of a virgin. Uh, Jesus never ceased to be God, but he was born in a human body that was made for him in the womb of the virgin, in Mary's womb. So we talked some about some of the passages like from Hebrews 1, which says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, or, or Hebrews 2, where it says that since uh, the children have flesh and blood, so too Jesus shared in, his, in their humanity, and he was made in the likeness of his brothers in every way, except for one, and that is he was without sin. Philippians 2 said that, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, death on the cross. 
And Romans 8 says that he came in the likeness of sinful man and yet was without sin. And that, that last part, that he was without sin, is declared many times in Scripture. Second uh, Corinthians 5 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. First John 3 says, and in him there was no sin. There's only one person who's ever walked this earth in perfect faith to God the Father, and that's God the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's because he did that, he was the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And then we kind of wrapped up that discussion about Christ's humanity. And so we talked about that Jesus cried. He felt pain. He laughed. He got hungry. When when they scourged him at the crucifixion, he would have felt those each and every blow just as we would have feel each and every blow. And I, I think it. I think it's one of the, after our show last time, you mentioned uh, that you got a text from somebody that said, studying and hearing about Jesus's humanity makes me want to love him even more, yeah. I think is what the text yeah, said. Yes, exactly what it was. And I think we, we emphasized Christ's divinity, rightly so, because he's God in the flesh. But I think sometimes we forget that he was a man just like us, and yet lived in perfect faith. Um, so that was last time. Then we ended the, the time with a, 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 a Jesus in every single book of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, you can find the person of Jesus. Yes, all throughout the Old Testament and, of course, the New Testament, you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. So today, I wanted to talk about the prophecies that are in the Old Testament that point to this coming Messiah, this coming Christ. Now remember, just a little overview. The first books of the Bible were written by Moses around the 1400 BC. The last books of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written about 400 years before the birth of Christ. So we have about a thousand-year period in which the Old Testament was written, all of which was written at a minimum of 400 years before Christ came. And yet today we're going to talk about that God, who is omniscient and knows all things, he knows the end from the beginning, was telling the world through the prophets and through the Old Testament that I'm going to send you this Messiah. And he gives clues in, clues in direct prophecies for the coming Christ. He, he gave clues in actually the feasts and festivals of Israel that we'll look at briefly he gave prophetic types in in certain people and stories and events in the Old Testament. We'll look at those briefly. And even inanimate objects, uh, for example, in the temple, point to Christ prophetically. And these are prophetic types that point to the life, the ministry, the teaching, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God told us beforehand that he was going to send this one. You know, I think I'm often asked, for example, did Abraham understand when he was asked to sacrifice his son and God provided a ram in a thicket to, to substitute for this sacrifice, pointing to the substitution of Christ's work on the cross for us? And how much did Abraham really understand of that? It's probably very little. Moses went on to say that God was going to send us another prophet like him that we must listen to. 
But did Moses really understand what was truly coming, that Jesus was going to come in the God in the flesh and die on the cross and be buried and rise again? No. You know, not even his disciples really understood all that was happening. And I can tell you, Jesus told them again and again and again that he was going to have to be handed over to the Gentiles. He was going to be uh, crucified, uh, dead and buried and rise again. And he told them that, um, you know, a number of times throughout the Gospels, and yet they still didn't get it. One of the passages in Peter tells us about the power of prophecy and that it doesn't come from man, but it absolutely comes from God. Who can tell the future? We spend something like $10 billion a year or more in this country, people on on tarot cards and fortune tellers and horoscopes and so on, trying to find out our future. All for naught. There's only one who knows the future, and that's God himself, because he dwells outside of time. He mm-hmm. sees the beginning from the end. But at Second Peter one twenty one, this is this. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So all prophecy is from God. There is no man who can tell you even what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone 400 years from now. Amen. That's why people who do uh, fortune telling and that sort of stuff, or do you have an 800 number? It always says, for entertainment purposes only. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, don't take us seriously. And and it's, it's actually interesting because God actually in his law in the Old Testament, told Israel, stay away from that. Absolutely, he did. That, that's You don't want to mess with all nope, that stuff. No, you do not. So Christians, if you, if you are into that and you are looking for the stars or fortune tellers or horoscopes or something to tell your future, uh, give it up. Go to God. Please stay he's away the from one that. Who, yes, he's yes. the one that knows tomorrow. Yeah, awesome. All right, Jeff, I think uh, it just you've done a fantastic job of a recap. And then when we come back, I want to start talking about prophecies for Jesus because we want to learn just who is this Jesus. And you're going to be helping us do that over the course of this series. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. He's here with me in studio. This is the third time we've talked on this series. It's going to last for a while because there's a lot to cover because we love Jesus. We want to learn everything we can about him. And everything that we're going to learn will support that he is exactly who he said he was. And we will love and worship him and give him praise and honor. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter... Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. The way they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth. If you just jumped in your car and you thought, that's a great song. It is a great song. It's the walk-up music for my guest, Jeff Verdorn, who's here with me in studio. We're talking uh, about who is 
this Jesus. We're on our, our series. This is the third time we've been uh, third episode of this, and we're going to now move into the prophecies for Jesus. I'm excited. So let's talk about these five categories that I just mentioned before the break, and then I think after the half-hour break, we'll start listing off all of the direct prophecies, because it's quite a list, and when we get to that, it's it's powerful. Um, so, And that is the first category, is direct prophecy. So I'll just... We'll talk about one right now, and I think everybody understands and knows this prophecy. But in the Old Testament, in Micah, uh, God told us that Bethlehem would be the place uh, where the Messiah would come from. Well, of course, the fulfillment is is talked about in Matthew chapter 2, where it says after this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of the king of King Herod. Now, it actually is more specific than that, because in Micah, there was actually two different Bethlehems. And the Micah prophecy actually specifies which one. So it's actually even more specific than just saying Bethlehem. It's like saying southern Bethlehem, right? It's like the part of Bethlehem that he came from. There are 80, I have my own personal list. Some people have lists of 100 unique direct prophecies or 106 or 103. I actually have 83 in my list. And we'll try to walk through many of them in the second half hour here. Um, I wanted to make sure that my list of direct prophecies only includes unique direct prophecies. There are many prophecies that are kind of repeated, uh, and so I count those at one, not two, even though they may appear multiple times in the Old Testament. All right, second time of prophecy, the Feasts of Israel. This is, we've actually done this whole thing in an hour on your show before, Bill, and it's, it's, it's a very powerful picture that God paints in the feasts that he gave to Israel. So recap very quickly, he gave seven feasts to Israel, starting with the Passover, then unleavened bread, then first fruits, then Pentecost or the feast of weeks, and then those were the four spring feasts. Then there was a break and the fall feasts were the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement and the feast of tabernacles. So those were the seven feasts. Well, guess what? Jesus fulfills each one of the first four feasts in his first coming. So he came on Passover, and I believe was crucified on Passover. And and this is just such a powerful concept that I don't think a, a ton of people get. On the final week of Christ's life, as Israel was sacrificing their lambs for the Passover that week, Jesus was on the cross being crucified for the sins of the world at the exact same moment. And after all, it's John the Baptist who said in John 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was, Paul calls him, our Passover lamb and was sacrificed at the same time. Of course, unleavened bread was this sin, getting rid of the sin. It's the burial of, of, of Christ. First fruits, Jesus is our first fruits. He was resurrected on first fruits that first Sunday after Passover, and of course, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. So those first four feasts are fulfilled. The last three feasts will be fulfilled in Jesus's second coming. So even the feasts that God ordained for Israel are prophetic for the life of Christ. So, Jeff, the second coming, three remaining feasts, would you name them again? The Feast of the, the Feast Trumpets, of Trumpets okay. which I believe represents the rapture of the church. Okay. The Day of Atonement, which I believe represents the second coming when Jesus, Revelation 19, returns to earth. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, Tabernacles is dwelling with. Yes. And I think that will be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. His kingdom 
on earth with his people, and then ultimately God will dwell with his people in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Love it. Very cool. Yeah. I love having stuff to look forward to. We have a lot to look forward yes, to. Yes, we do. You know, can I, just an aside, I was talking to a friend on the way over, and he was talking about that he had bought lottery tickets. You know, there was like a billion, $1.3 billion lottery here drawn this week. Somebody in, I think Illinois won it, one person. And he said, you know, I think about how excited I would have been if I won that lottery. And he said, but in reality, I've already got eternal life. And why don't I react like I would have reacted if I won the lottery Mm -hmm. every single day that I wake up? Because God says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We are rich in Christ and possess everything, God says, and eventually we will possess all things with Christ. That's our inheritance. So we have a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Jeff, I want to take a 10-second detour because the winner of the $1.28 billion lottery will get $433.7 million after tax. And I said this in the first hour, it just looks like Uncle Sam is the one who really won the lottery. <laughs> you know, they also keep about half of the sales proceeds. So not only should the should the lottery be higher, but they yeah. keep, I think, half of the sale proceeds. I got you. Yeah. And yeah. then they take ca- taxes of the other half. So they, they're, the government is the one that wins big yeah. in the lottery system. And I go to so. Mark 836, what profits a man to win the whole world, but lose his own soul. There you go. Yeah. All right. So prophetic types. There are prophetic types in people, for example, in the Old Testament. And I like to use Joseph as an example. And and there's probably 30 characteristics of the life of Joseph that parallels Jesus Christ. And just a couple of them. Joseph was loved by the father. Jesus was loved by the father. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by the Jews. He was sold for a price. Jesus is sold for a price. He experienced a symbolic death when they threw him in the well right? Jesus experienced an actual death and resurrection coming up out of the well. Joseph was taken to Egypt. Jesus was taken to Egypt. Joseph was tempted, remember, by uh, the Pharaoh's wife and fled. Jesus was tempted. He took a, Joseph took a Gentile bride. Jesus took a Gentile bride. The church is, is described as his bride. Um, and Joseph saved his people from a famine. Jesus is coming back to save Israel. There's probably about 30 or more of these kind of parallels in the life of Joseph. And I think God gave those stories to try to help Israel recognize Mm -hmm. the person of Jesus when he came. It's like, oh, wait a minute, that sounds familiar, you know, kind of thing. And I think that is what prophecy and type is why it's so powerful. Yeah, it seems like a McFly moment, doesn't it? Yeah. From Back to the Future, McFly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> Those are great movies. They are great. I'll watch them anytime they're on. Yeah. Um, events. We already talked about one that my, uh, my in my notes, I used this one, the event of Abraham's sacrifice, almost sacrifice, of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. And we know what happened. God provided a ram and a thicket to be the sacrifice instead of his son. And of course, Jesus was the substitutionary atonement for our sins so that we wouldn't have to be sacrificed. Those kinds of events uh, point to the coming Messiah. Objects. This is a really cool one. 
the Ark of the Covenant was the only object that was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was two cherubim, angels, figures that had their wings outstretched over the top of the Ark. And the priest, the high priest, would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he'd sprinkle blood on that seat, on the mercy seat, it's called, for his sin and for the sins of Israel. And that's how their sins were atoned for annually in under the law in, in Israel. Well, when they entered the tomb of Jesus, there's a little line that says they saw an angel at the head and at the foot of where Jesus had laid. What were they seeing when they looked into that tomb? I think they were seeing the mercy seat, the picture that God had given Israel for 1,400 years for them to know and understand and annually atone for sin by sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. They were seeing when they looked into the tomb and saw an angel at the head and an angel at the foot. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Prophecy in type of physical objects. Um, In fact, everything in the temple, when you study the temple and the objects, points to Christ. One of the things that was outside the Holy of Holies was the holy place, and there was the table of showbread Mm -hmm. that the priest would maintain. Well, who's the bread of life? Jesus. The menorah was there that they would keep lit with the candles, right? Well, who's the light of the world? Jesus. Jesus is, of course. So even the objects of the tabernacle (laughs) point to Christ. All right. So that's the power of prophecy. And I, I love... Yeah, we've got enough time to finish this up. Luke 24. Are you falling more in love with Jesus like me right now? Oh. Good, good. Just checking. Luke 24 is this wonderful scene after Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to two men on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. And he asks them what's going on, and they say, where have you been? Haven't you heard? You know, this guy Jesus has come, and they crucified him. And besides, it's been three days, and we haven't heard anything. And he says this. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. What was he doing? He was explaining all of the Old Testament prophecies and how they pointed to the Christ that he had to come and die and rise again. And so that's what we're going to do when we come back from break is start talking about all these prophecies that Jesus himself would have been expressing and describing to these two men on the road to Emmaus. And that's, by the way, what Paul says. He says he would go into the synagogues and reason with them from the Scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ. How would he do that? Using Old Testament prophecies to point to Christ. You may want to be listening to this on your app. If you have not put the Faith Radio app on your phone, I highly encourage you to do so. You can stay connected not only to Faith Radio, but you can listen live or on demand, and you can keep up with the latest giveaways and promotions that we're doing here. So please go to your uh, store where you download apps, and you can download the free Faith Radio app. It is free, and it is a good app. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back with Jeff Verdorn as we continue studying who is this Jesus.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. I'm back with my friend Jeff Verdorn. We're talking about who is this Jesus? And early on, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, I suggested maybe someone with musical talent out there would sing us a little theme song for who is this <laughs> Jesus. And there was uh, a, a full response of uh, one person. And she made a lovely suggestion, but it wasn't really a, a song. It was just a um, something that is not specific for this. Um, but they did. It, it was a nice suggestion. It wasn't a jingle. It wasn't a jingle. Got gotcha. yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, we could use a jingle. It's a, it, she was suggesting that old that old Bible song about B I B L E. They know that song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is my favorite version of that? Was by Go Fish. Yeah, right. That yeah. one. That's how. It's, yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great song. Great group. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the prophecies of Jesus and the power of prophecy. And Jeff, what is the very first prophecy in Scripture about Jesus? So the power, let's start with the power. I think there is, a, a, the Bible is unique in the world. There is no other book that has predictive prophecy that has been fulfilled provably. So a prophecy that was written, we know, hundreds of years before the events happened and then fulfilled precisely as the prophecy was written. So there's actually one, one of my favorite examples is there's a prophecy for Cyrus in Isaiah 44, where it says he will be the one to send Israel back from Babylon in their captivity and to rebuild the temple. And sure enough, 150 years later, a guy by the name of Cyrus, who was was named 150 years before he came to power, is the one who signed the decree in Ezra chapter 1 to send Israel back to start rebuilding the temple. Who can do that but God? One of my favorite descriptions that I heard a long time ago by a commentator that says, fulfilled prophecy is God's fingerprints on his word. We know we can trust that this is from God, and one of the big reasons why is because of the power of fulfilled prophecy. So um, there are others who claim like Notre Dame and some of these prophecies that people would say, no, these are obscure, poetic kind of things that people try to fit. Um, the biblical prophecy has to be fulfilled precisely as the prophet describes. That was actually the test in Deuteronomy for a true prophet of God. So what's the first prophecy for Jesus? This is quite fascinating because actually the first prophecy for the coming Christ comes right after the fall of mankind. When Adam and Eve in the garden fell and died spiritually that day, were separated from God, God then gives this prophecy in Genesis 3, chapter 15, that basically it's now it's it's not a clear prophecy. Now we can understand it later, but it said, you will will bruise his heel, but he will strike your head. And I think that's a picture of Satan uh, bruising Jesus's heel, if you will, metaphorically on the cross, but Christ eventually destroying the work of Satan and Satan himself uh, in the end. And so the first prophecy of Christ comes immediately after the fall. It's like God is saying, they're hinting at the world, if you will. I got this. I got a plan. I know this fall wasn't part of my plan, but I have a plan to bring you back to me. 
and that's the first prophecy for Christ. A lot of the direct prophecies, to start with, have to do with Jesus' genealogy. Scripture makes it clear that the Messiah who's coming would be a descendant of Abraham. He would come through the line of Isaac, not through the line of Ishmael, the first son of Abraham, born of Hagar, the slave woman, Mm -hmm. but the child of the promise that he promised Sarah and Abraham. And so through Isaac, uh, the, the Messiah would come. His son, Jacob, then, that blessing and that promise passed on to him. So we know that the Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. Well, what does that do for us? That narrows the possibility of people in this world down to ethnic Israel. Because remember, Jacob became Israel, and his 12 sons became the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. So we know that Jesus was going to be a Jew. He was going to be, more specifically, from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49 gives us this prophecy. So from all the 12 tribes, Jesus is going to come from the tribe of Judah. From the branch of Jesse, who was David's father. So that's the next prophecy, that he would be a descendant of David. And 2 Samuel 7 makes this clear that when God says to to David that I will rise up one of your offspring who will succeed you, who will not come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom forever. Well, that's a picture of the Christ. So the Christ has to be a descendant of David. The Messiah needs to be a descendant of David. He would come as a child as well. So Isaiah 7 says that, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, which is actually another prophecy for Christ, that the virgin would have a child. Uh, but this one is relates to that he would come not as a conquering king, you know, riding on a white horse. That's future. He's going to come as a baby and swaddling cloths in a manger in the town of Bethlehem. And the New Testament records the fulfillment of those prophecies. So both in Matthew and in Luke, we have these genealogies of Christ. And a lot of commentators have commented, why would God include these genealogies? And I've heard some say that, well, it's because it shows that God used imperfect people in his plan to bring the Messiah. That's certainly true. But I think one of the main reasons that God includes these these genealogies in the New Testament is to show that Jesus actually was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the tribe of Judah, from the line of line of David. And both of those genealogies, by the way, prove that, show that. Uh, born in Bethlehem, next prophecy. So this is actually the ninth one. And we already talked about this, that not only do we know his genealogy, we know where he was going to be born. So that narrows who the Messiah can be down considerably. There's only so many people that have been born in Bethlehem over the millennium, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that narrows it down even more. And, of course, born of a virgin, that's from that Isaiah 7 prophecy. M- Matthew chapter 1 says this about the Messiah, that his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they had any kind of sexual relationship, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so Hebrews 7 confirms that the virgin of the virgin birth of, of Jesus Christ, basically. The next one has to do with his early life. If you recall, when Jesus was born, Herod 
got visited by some kings from the east, and they said this king had been born, and Herod tried to tell him that he wanted to worship them, him also, but instead killed all of these children. Well, that's actually prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 31, this, this slaughter of children surrounding Jesus' birth. Isaiah 60 says that kings would come and bear gifts from the Messiah, and Hosea 11 says that the Messiah would come up out of Egypt. Well, remember, Joseph got a dream, in a dream was warned to flee to Egypt, mm-hmm. and then God told him when it was safe to come back again. So Jesus, in fact, did come up out of Egypt exactly like the prophecy describes. At the start of the ministry, Isaiah 40 says that he would be preceded by one. Well, who was he, who preceded Jesus? Well, that's John the Baptist, right. preceded the Christ. It says in Isaiah 11 that the Spirit of God would be upon him, that he would be God's chosen servant, that he would do God's will and be the son of God, 1 Chronicles 17, that he'd be preached that he would preach the good news and that he'd be called a Nazarene. Well, where did Jesus grow up? In the town of Nazareth. And that he would come to his temple. Malachi 3, and surely Jesus did come to his temple. In Isaiah 9, it says that the Messiah would have a ministry in Galilee. Well, when he started his public ministry, he basically moved to Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he had most of his ministry for those Mm -hmm. three and a half years that he was uh, in his ministry. He would have a ministry of healing, Isaiah 35. He would speak in parables, Psalm 78. He'd be a prophet like Moses. We talked about that one. He'd be compassionate. He'd receive praise from children. Psalm 8, Matthew 21 confirms that. He would be despised by men, Isaiah 53. Not believed in, but he would be a great light in this world and would claim to be God, Isaiah 9, 6. And yet Isaiah 53 tells us that he would be sinless. And we already read some of those verses in the New Testament that declare that Jesus, though he was tempted, was without sin. And now, so that's the birth, early life, and ministry of Jesus. And now we get into his final days and some of the prophecies, which these are the really meaty ones, I would I would say. Now, this first one comes from Daniel 9, and it describes the exact timing that the Messiah would come. Now, we've done actually this prophecy before on air a couple times, and and I can't go into it. I'm going to use about a, a minute here to describe this. But Daniel 9 gives us a time frame that Israel could use to determine when the Messiah was going to come. So not only did he tell us the genealogy of this Messiah, and not only did God tell us where he was going to be born, God told Israel and the world when the Messiah was going to come. That is the Daniel 9 prophecy. Now, Daniel was in Babylon when he received this prophecy, and it basically goes from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, comes, there would be this period of time. So we can go back and see when this decree was, calculate the amount of time that the prophecy tells us, and come to 32 AD. In fact, we can come to April 32 AD. And in fact, some have even calculated that that day that is prophesied in Daniel 9 
is the exact day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey for the first time being heralded by Israel as Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And none of this surprises me. (laughs) It amazes me, but it doesn't surprise me. Because we're talking about a God who is outside of time and can predict things like this. That's exactly right. How many many years would that have been, Jeff? So the prophecy is specifically 483 years. In the prophecy, it's actually 69 sevens. Right. A seven is a seven-year period, and we calculate that out. We get 483 years. We have to do a little more massaging understanding of that prophecy. But once you fully understand it, it is so powerful that God gave us the precise timing that the Messiah would come. And that would have been Palm Sunday, the arrival into Jerusalem on the donkey. To start then the final week of Christ's earthly ministry here on earth. It's stunning. It is. Yeah. And by the way, that prophecy in Daniel 9 not only outlines the timing of the first coming of Christ— It also sets the framework for the second coming of Christ, that there will be a future seven-year period of tribulation uh, culminating with the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ to earth. Mm. So good. Jeff, I'm going to take a break, and then we'll come back and continue on Who Is This Jesus? That's a series study that I'm doing with my friend and Bible uh, teacher, Jeff Ferdorn. And we're going to continue this as we are talking about these powerful, powerful prophecies of Jesus. After a break, we'll continue. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. that relaxes you a little bit as you're heading home or maybe you've arrived home and now you're getting ready for your meal and some family time and I always think it's nice to relax as the day. I'm using my relaxing voice right now too. You are. I noticed that. And if you're sitting in traffic, all that stress has just fled from you. Evaporated. Yeah, evaporated. Yeah. Anyway, Jeff Verdorn is my guest. Who is this Jesus? That's our topic and we've been uh, loving talking about prophecy. It's, there's nothing like fulfilled prophecy that has the pr- the handprint of God on it. Oh, it it's does. It's the best. Doesn't it? So the final week, there's a whole bunch of direct prophecies. These are probably the ones that most people are familiar with. For example, that he would ride in on a donkey that we were talking about just before the break. Zechariah 9 says that your your the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. And it says that he would be hated. He would be rejected by his own people. Psalm 118 says that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11 says. And the price would be bought to be used to buy a potter's field. I mean, that's exactly Judas's payment and what happened to the the money. Uh, that he'd be accused by false, false witnesses, uh, Psalm 27 
Um, He'd be silent before his accusers. He'd be struck on the cheek. He'd be spat upon, beaten, disfigured, uh, that his sheep would be scattered, Zechariah 13. All of this is recorded. All these events are recorded uh, that he would be then the final day of his life, cut off, according to the Daniel 9 prophecy, executed by crucifixion, Psalm 22. In fact, there are many details of the crucifixion described in Psalm 22. It's one of the Messianic Psalms, and Psalm 22 specifically is a chilling account of the future crucifixion of Christ. Isaiah 53 says that he'd be numbered with his transgressors. They would cast lots for his clothing, back to Psalm 22, that he'd be thirsty during his execution. And, of course, Matthew 27 records that. He'd be mocked, insulted. They would say, let the Lord rescue him. And that's precisely what they said when he was hanging on the cross, that he'd be stared at. There'd be darkness that no bones would be broken. This is a fascinating one because most of the people who were crucified by the Romans would have their legs broken so that they would finally die sooner. And Jesus didn't need his bones broken, uh, not because he was physically uh, unfit in some way, but remember, he was scourged and beaten before he went to the crucifixion. That was, by the way, against Roman law. You weren't supposed to scourge and crucify a man. You did one or the other, not Mm, both. mm. But remember, he had both of them. And there was usually someone supervising the scourging to make sure the person didn't die from it. Yes. That's when they would say, all right, that's enough. Yep. And Jesus maintained all of the lashes that were... He did. And so he goes to the cross in that weakened state... And when the guards came to break his legs, they found that he was already dead. And then Psalm 22 says his side was pierced. So remember, the the soldier pierced him in the side. And uh, and what poured out, it was also prophesied in Psalm 22. Then to his burial, it says that the Messiah would be buried on the same day, that his death would atone for sins, that he would be the lamb that was led to the slaughter, that he was buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53 says. And yet, now here's the great news, that Scripture proclaimed beforehand that he'd be raised from the dead, that he'd be raised on the third day, and that he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. His Holy One did not see decay. He, he, he conquered death. The grave could not hold him. Death could not contain him. And after three days, just as was prophesied, he walked out of that tomb in power and glory and appeared to many and gave us this gospel that Christ would die, be buried, would rise again and appear to many. That is the gospel that then Paul Paul received in 1 Corinthians 15. And that he would destroy the work of Satan, Genesis 3.15. He defeated Satan on the cross, and eventually fully when he returns, um, that he would uh, be revealed to the Gentiles, and Genesis 12 said he'd be the justifier of many. And so there's 83 on my list direct, unique prophecies for the birth, the life, the ministry, the, 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 the death, the crucifixion and burial and resurrection of this person, Jesus Christ. There's actually a guy, I think his name is Peter Stoner. You know this guy, right? Peter, is that his name? Is Peter. That, is that the mathematician? Yeah. Yeah. And he did a calculation of one man 
fulfilling just six of these prophecies. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have the notes in front of me, but it was something like one in one times 10 to the 17th power or something. In other words, the odds that one man would fulfill just six of these prophecies are astronomical, let alone one man fulfilling 83 of these direct, unique prophecies for the Messiah. And and you're absolutely right. You, what you said earlier, it, it it's, I'm not sh- surprised, but I am amazed yeah. because this comes from God. He knows the end from the beginning. So he can tell us tomorrow easily, mm-hmm. and he has. And when, you know, prophecy hasn't ended. We've got more prophecies in Scripture for Jesus' second coming. And we talked about our hope that we have. Well, one of the big reasons we have this hope is because God, when it comes to predicting the future, is batting a thousand. He mm-hmm. never misses. They've all come true exactly as he said. So he has given us a whole bunch of prophecies for Jesus' second coming, our future resurrection, our future glorification, and our future inheritance that we can trust because God has proven trustworthy. I think Stoner extrapolated the numbers and put it into something like this. If you covered the entire state of Texas up to your waist in silver dollars and marked one of them. Hmm. And threw it out there. And then put a blindfold on somebody (laughs) and said, you now go get to pick up one coin. Yeah. That's whatever that number was, one times 10 to the whatever. Yes. That was, uh, that's the probability. That's the so there's a, there's a really good picture of one man just fulfilling six of them. Yes. Yes. Let alone 83 plus. Yes. And yeah. I, I don't know, I don't think I read all 83 of them, but no, I think we covered about 60 of them yeah, or so. Yeah, we covered a lot of them. Um, and these were all, and remember, these descriptions came true exactly as God said and were all written at least 400 years before Christ came in the Old Testament. Um, so, yeah. So fill the world with quarters to a depth of right. how, how three feet was it? Yeah, it was like up to your waist. Yeah. And then we'll put a blindfold on you and say, go. There's and there's one, one coin quarter. marked. Yeah. And, and you get to wander through Texas and pick up one coin <laughs> in, in waist high deep coins. And that would be the one. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Prophecy to me is, I, I mean, I love prophecy. I love to teach future prophecy. But also I do, so this whole thing that we did here in an hour, um, I have a whole semester class that I teach called Christ in Prophecy, where we go through all of the details of all of these prophecies. And I think it's so powerful because Paul, and I mentioned this earlier, as was his practice, went into the synagogue every Sabbath and he tried to reason with the Jews and prove to them that Jesus was the Christ. Couldn't we, as Christians today, in our discussions with those in the world, could we prove that Jesus is the Christ? Do we know these Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment? And could we communicate with someone? Because it's a very reasonable conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, just not because you believe it just out of thin air, because it's the the most logical conclusion when you study the prophecies that God has given and their fulfillment precisely as he told us, what other conclusion are you going to come to other than the fact 
that this man was who he says he was, and that is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Well, that has been a powerful hour, and I know that we will continue down this road, um, who is this Jesus, for months and months to come, because we have so much to cover, don't we? We do. I think I think next week we'll move to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Love and it. What does that mean? Love it. And always want to invite you to send questions or comments because we're in this together. And I appreciate so much uh, your uh, studying along with us. And I've got a page of notes here, which I'll probably have to go back and look at because I can't read my own handwriting. Because uh, I write fast when Jeff talks, and I look at this scribble, and I go, hmm, I can't understand what I just wrote. But I'll work on it tonight, and uh, I hope you take notes as well. And I hope you take Jeff's advice and say, when we get into conversations with people about Christ, let's be equipped to talk about the power of prophecy. Uh, there's there's no other God that can boast about this. That's right. It's amazing, truly amazing. So, Jeff, thank you, and have a great evening. Jeff Dorn has been my guest, and we are going to uh, continue this study on who is this Jesus. So it will happen again in two weeks in this time slot, so I look forward to that. And I will look forward to our next time together. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for supporting Faith Radio. Thank you for saying, I love what you guys do. I, I love how I'm growing in my faith, and you're making a difference in my life, so thank you. And I, I know I speak on behalf of Carmen and Susie. We love you, and we we love that you listen, and, and thank you for being part of our family and for caring about us because we feel loved by you, and that makes uh, us feel great too. So, so thank you for that. So, Rosie, thank you for a great night, a great day, and I will um, look forward to the next time we're together. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.